I want you to uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28 and uh, want you to walk through this chapter with me uh, in kind of a overall outline. Uh, if you got the sheet with the notes, it's, uh, the outline is on uh, that sheet. But uh, I'd like for you to walk through this chapter with me uh, in order to uh, come to the basis of a phenomenal truth that is found in the uh, resurrection of Jesus himself. Uh, chapter 28, uh, was really excited about coming to chapter 28, had studied through from chapter 8 down through chapter 28, uh, spent a lot of time in that section, and finally got through the crucifixion. It's really long, the crucifixion event. It is all of chapter 26 and chapter 27, including the trials and all that's going on in that. And finally, when you come down to uh, chapter 28, you're just stepping out of the, res uh, out of the crucifixion events. Uh, the, that's been clustered around the cross and you're finally moving into this phenomenal section which is the resurrection. And so I came with great anticipation uh, in ch for chapter 28 and the study of chapter 28 and walked away basically disappointed which is not a reflection on the scriptures, a reflection on me and my own stupidity. But walked away from chapter 28 basically discouraged, basically disappointed. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But if you look at chapter uh, 28, and it begins, of course, with uh, verse 1, and uh, goes down through the first section, ends in verse, uh, verse 10. And it's a story. And it's a story about the two ladies, they, uh, the two Marys. Uh, they have been faithful. They believe in Jesus uh, and uh, have believed in Him and followed Him. And Jesus had done phenomenal things uh, in and to their lives. And, of course, they had uh, been there at the crucifixion, uh, they had been there uh, during the, uh, uh, the uh, whole time. Uh, they'd been in the background, couldn't do anything about it. They had sympathy and empathy for him. Uh, in fact, uh, the only time that Mary Magdalene shows up in the whole gospel account is here uh, at the crucifixion and at the resurrection, which is a little strange. You'd have to admit that. I mean, if you're writing a story and uh, you come up at the end of the story and interject, people like Mary Magdalene, you just want to say, where'd they come from? Uh, but here they are. But that's a great place to be found at the crucifixion and the resurrection. So here's the two Marys, uh, and they have uh, brought spices, and they have come uh, to anoint the body. And the very first scene that takes place, of course, in verse 1 uh, down through verse 4 is the angel's appearance. Uh, and as you look, you see that uh, there was a great earthquake in verse 2 because the angel is descending. And evidently, he's trying to tell us that the descent of the angel caused the earthquake. So this was such pressure because when the presence of God comes, he does bring phenomenal pressure to our lives. It is not always pleasant when he comes. It's not always uplifting. It is great pressure. And uh, brought about an earthquake. And, of course, the uh, angel of the Lord came down uh, in that earthquake, and things shook, and he came and grabbed the stone. If you can picture this, he grabbed this stone. Now, the stone is a cylinder. It's not a stone stone. It's a cylinder cut out, and it's in a slot, and it's, uh, it's in, a, in this groove, and the groove is uphill, uh, inclined, and the reason is because you push it up there and put a peg in it, and that leaves the door open. And then when you're ready to seal the tomb, somebody's buried, you pull the peg and it's... And then it would take a half a dozen men to move the thing. It's very heavy. 
The angel comes down, grabs that thing, yanks it out of its slot, and throws it aside, and does that kind of thing of going over and sit on it, and we'll talk about that in a moment as well, but went over then and sat on it. So you got that whole scene. Uh, This is the angel's appearance. And of course, when the angel shows up, uh, his presence is so frightening to the guards. This wasn't one guard. This was a Roman guard, which was made up of at least four. And the reason they always had four in a guard is that they could form four corners. And that way, somebody always had your back. You stand that corner, that corner, this corner, this corner, and you could fight off a larger group. And of course, that square, that four, those four guards, could be expanded to eight, just increase, and what uh, could go up to 12. So I believe as nervous as the high priest and all of Jerusalem was over this whole scene, they probably requested 12. So you've got the elite. Uh, by the way, these guys are the special forces of the Roman army. They uh, uh, really came from Caesar's bodyguards. Uh, Caesar had two garrisons of guys that were the selected, the veterans, the ones who had been there, who had uh, served their time and were the specialists of their hour. They didn't sweat. They were not afraid of anything. And they were Caesar's special bodyguards. So much trouble had been going on down in Judea that Caesar said, hey, take a group of those guys, send them down there, and let's get this outfit straightened up. So this group, the 12, I think, the 12, were selected from that group of specialists of, of special forces. So these guys don't sweat. So this angel came down. They're afraid of nothing. This angel came down, and they pass out because they're afraid to death, uh, scared to death. They, they faint, which is phenomenal. It tells you the dynamics of the story itself. So these guards are passed out at the end of verse 4. Then you come to verse 5, which gives us the angel's announcement. So in verse 1 through 4, you have the angel's appearance. Now you have the angel's announcement. The angel got a hold of the two ladies, brought them aside, and said, Do not fear. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. And this is the first words announcing the uh, resurrection of Jesus. The angels announced his birth. They are the first ones to announce his birth. They now are the first ones to announce his resurrection, according to Matthew. And so they turn to the ladies and say, hey, we want you to go and we want you to tell the disciples that he is risen and that he's going to keep the appointment he set with them before he was crucified, which he had done uh, just after the upper room scene. So the angel uh, told them to run off and tell the, uh, give the message to the disciples, which is exactly what they did. Now, when you come to the end of that, you, of course, move into the angel's affirmation, which is verse 8 and 9. And uh, the ladies ran quickly with great joy. Here they are. They've been dead tired. They haven't slept for several nights. They've been worn out with grief. All of a sudden, they have all this new energy, and off they go. And it says they went running with great joy and told the disciples, rejoice, and that's the whole story. Now, after that story takes place, there is a whole other story given to you, which doesn't flow. It's just like, that's that, now this is this. And it's like a whole other story. And the story here has to do with the guards. It's the Sanhedrin's deceiving, we're calling it. So you have the uh, angels descending, and you have now the Sanhedrin's deceiving. And in verse 11, it starts. 
And it connects you a bit with the previous story in this fact that as the angels are, or as the ladies are running with great joy to tell the message that Jesus is alive to his disciples, these guards wake up. And at least some of them are very, very concerned. Because in that day, when you guarded a prisoner and he got away, you had to take his place. And if you're guarding a dead body and he gets away, <laughs> you got a real problem here. <laughs> a real problem. <laughs> so scared to death. Now, it's really interesting that they don't go to um, Pilate because they would really be under Pilate. But they don't go to Pilate at all. But they run, and this uh, section, uh, which is verse 11, is called the guard's report. They run uh, to the chief priest and the elders because they know the chief priest and the elders have Pilate under their thumb. So they know who's in charge here, so they run. And he's very definite in verse 11, you'll note, that he reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Isn't it interesting that Jesus saw to it that, he, that the guards who are Roman pagans and unbelievers, they gave a witness to the leadership of Israel of his own resurrection. He can even use a jackass to do that, you know. <laughs> and you're all looking at me, thank you. So, I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? He just uses anybody. He can use anybody to give a witness. Uh, to uh, Peter, he used a rooster to crow, and there was a witness. So it's amazing uh, what God does in all of this. But anyhow, they came and, and reported all, uh, to the, all the things that had happened. So the whole story about the angel... The bright lights, the tomb, empty tomb, all of this, all of the details were related to the leaders of Israel. Now, in the next verse, 12 through 14, you have the Sanhedrin's response. And what is their response? Well, they call a committee meeting. Isn't that typical? <laughs> yeah, let's have, a, let's have a church committee meeting. And they got together around their, around their conference table having this committee, and the key word in verse 12 is consulted. It says the elders consulted together, and it literally means counsel. It, mean, it literally means put your heads together and talk it over kind of thing. So they got together and talked it over, everything that the guards had said. And uh, the, the response out of that was that they went to the offering and took a lot of money out of the offering, a large sum out of the offering. This is where your tithes are going, folks. <laughs> And they bribed the soldiers. Isn't that interesting? Now, this isn't, well, we're not sure whether he was raised from the dead or not. We're not. See, they, no, they wouldn't even consider. They just took the money, gave it to the soldiers, and said, go out and tell everybody that while you were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. Now, do you know how serious that is for a soldier to be sleeping on the job? See, if Pilate found that out, that would be the end of them. But the leaders of here said, we'll protect you. So just go out and say, you did a lousy job and that these wimpy disciples who are all broken up and disbanded all got together and came and overtook you. <laughs> they will not go on with that. So, and they stole the body. And then he says, this is interesting in verse 14, or on down to verse uh, 
14 and 15, you have the guard's recital. It says that uh, it says in verse 15 that uh, they took the money. They did as they were instructed. And this saying, listen to this, this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. In other words, Matthew is writing this several years. I mean, many years, like 30, 40 years, possibly later than this event. And they're still saying it. Still advocating this lie. Hey, disciples stole the body. Now, another scene. Isn't this interesting to me? I mean, you got this scene. Okay, that's nice. Then you got this scene. Like, they're not really connected, but you got two scenes, different, two views. And then you got one more scene closing out the chapter and the book. And the scene, of course, is uh, the disciples seeking. In other words, the disciples... Uh, in verse 16 have gone away to Galilee now you realize they were in uh, they were in Jerusalem all this time and it's a little uh, confusing in Matthew's writing and I don't know how you want to put that all together probably don't have to worry about it but the disciples were in Jerusalem Jesus appeared to them said wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high they were to stay there until Pentecost come came but in some time in all of that time they had to make a trip to, to Galilee so we don't know exactly when that happened. But in Matthew's gospel, it's the only appearance of Jesus to the disciples. And it was an appointed time. In other words, if you go back, I think it's in chapter 20, uh, 26, you will find out, uh, uh, I think it's verse 24, anyhow, you will find out that Jesus said as he was coming down from the upper room, listen guys, I'm setting an appointment with you. I want to see you after I'm raised from the dead in Galilee at the base of the mountain on Tuesday at 7.30. I added a little but you know it, it was that kind of a deal it was a it was the only appointment that he made in his resurrection appearance all the rest of them were random that is he just showed up but not this one this was an appointed now if you knew Jesus was going to be there have you seen him no I haven't seen him he's going to show up at 7 30 Tuesday at the base of the mountain I'm going to be there so this is where we think probably the 500 showed up who saw him all at one time don't know that for sure but it would make sense so they came at the appointed time, and they're seeking him. Now, it's interesting that in verse 16 and 17, you have the disciples seeking. They've made their way all the way to Galilee. Then in verse 18, you have the disciples' security, which is Jesus starts out talking to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And so you have this great security. Then in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, you have the disciples sending, which we know of as the Great Commission, go out and make disciples and win the whole world, which they went out to do. So that's the chapter. Now, what was so disappointing to me was that as I walked through all of this, there's no resurrection appearance. There's no resurrection event. Got to get my words right here. There's no resurrection event. What I mean by event is the actual physical resurrection of Jesus isn't here. Everything in the chapter is after he raised from the dead. So this chapter doesn't give you the resurrection event. See, what I wanted was, I wanted disciples are standing there, they're watching, and they see this dead body, and it begins to quake, and he moves his little finger, and then his big toe, and he begins to quake, and whoa. I wanted that kind of stuff. See, how did it happen? How did it, we have nothing. By the time the angel got there, he's gone. Now, if this is the crack of dawn, 
For some of you, that'd be 9 o'clock. But if this was the crack of dawn, just kidding. If this was the crack of dawn, wow. I mean, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. Jesus is a 3 o'clock in the morning guy. That didn't go over well. Okay. He raised from the dead, say, 3 o'clock in the morning. So all of this, and he didn't need the stone road away to get out. He, and he's gone. I mean, he went through the grave clothes. Come on, he passed through the walls and sat down at a table and ate. So, hey, we don't, that's no problem. So he's out of the tomb, 3 o'clock in the morning, we'll say, 4 o'clock in the morning. Time the ladies get there, he's gone. So this is all, the event isn't in this chapter. So I say, hey, maybe I missed it in chapter 27. So I back up in chapter 27, but when you come to the end of verse 66, which is the last verse, it says they made the tomb secure. So he's dead. And they've got him in there, and they, laid, and they made the tomb, and they sealed the stone, and they set the guard. And then you come into chapter 28, and he's gone. So evidently, in between chapter 27 and 28, Jesus has raised from the dead. So you look at that and say, wow, he just bypassed the whole event. Now, that probably, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but then when you begin to take that, and you put it with the crucifixion. He did the same thing in the crucifixion event. In other words, no details. No details, folks, of the actual crucifixion. In the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, I've watched it about 20 times this week. In the pa we're showing it in the jail. In, in, in the Passion of Christ, see, they, they, all the details are there. I mean, they grab him, they bring him up there, they nail this hand, they can't get this hand as far as they tie a rope around here, they yank it, oh, pull it right out of his socket. All the details. They grab his feet, pull, they put this, we hear the hammer, we see the hammer, we, the blood is spurting. We see all of those details. If I'd have written the crucifixion a bit, whoa, it would have been full of that stuff. Why? Because it sells. We love it. Some of, some of the women in the women's pod were watching it like this. Because we love that stuff. But none of that is given to us. It simply says they crucified him. No details. No details on the resurrection event. No details on the crucifixion event. And I'm saying, whoa, why? What's the deal here? What's, what's happening? Why wouldn't he give any of those significant kinds of things that I'd like to see? And so when you look at chapter 28, the resurrection has happened. We're not denying that. And the crucifixion happened. We're not denying that. We're just saying that the gospel accounts, none of them, none of the gospel accounts, give any of the details of the event itself. It's just the reality of the event which tells you that this is not so much about the event. Say, oh, it's Good Friday. Good. I want to honor Good Friday. Oh, it's Easter Sunday morning. Great. This is the day. Yes, the event took place. Yes. But it's not so much, he's saying, about the event. Let it sink in. It's not so much about the event. Well, what is it about then? It's about, and I want to try to convince you of this, 
It's about the style. What was it that was really raised from the dead? What was it that in this chapter we begin to see taking place? What, is it, what was it that finally conquered death and hell? Well, it's the person of Jesus. That's right. But the person of Jesus is full of this nature and this style. Now, if you were going to seek out a word that would describe that style, what word would you use? Oh, you guys are slick. <laughs> Cross style. See, that's not really, whoa, that's not, I don't, that's a bummer. That's a downer. See, Jesus was humiliated. Jesus was servant. Jesus rode a donkey instead of a white stallion. Jesus wore his feet. Jesus, all of that over here. Okay, I buy that. But over here, brother, whoo, he's riding the stallion, man. Over here, he's got the scepter in his hand. Over here, look out, he'll smash you over here. See, over here, loving, kind, merciful. Over here, smash, defeat, you hit me, step on your head, boy. You better shape up. You better be. Over here, he's loving, kind, grace. Over here, sovereignty of God judging you. What if that isn't true? What if what is raised from the dead is this Jesus over here? And what if this Jesus is raised from the dead and he is the same here as he is here? Whoa! You mean the Jesus who wore feet here is the same Jesus who is now here going to do the same kind of thing? You mean the Jesus here that looked at me and said, hey, they don't throw stones. I don't throw them either. Go and sin no more and have victory in your life. It's the same Jesus that's here saying, I don't throw stones. They aren't throwing any stones. I don't throw any stones. Go and have victory in your life. And wouldn't it be interesting, folks, if the cross is not just an event, if the resurrection isn't just an event, wouldn't it be interesting if the cross and the resurrection are a style, a way of life, a way of thinking, a perspective, a nature? Wouldn't it be interesting if it's the very nature of God? And the flow of what he was in three years of ministry has been raised from the... Do you see the significance of this? In other words, the cross style, the die to yourself, the never ever think about yourself, the pour your life out, the servanthood thing, the let me roll my sleeves up and, and, and help you, the let me invest my life into you, let, let, me, let me have mercy and love and spill it all over you, let, let, let me invo be involved in your life kind of stuff wasn't a temporary three-year deal that that thing has been raised from the dead and it now is the eternal foundation of the kingdom. 
and that everybody in the kingdom has this same style. Everybody in the kingdom now walks with this same limp. Everybody in the kingdom now has this same, has this same manner. Everybody in the kingdom now thinks like this because it has become eternal. And it's not a temporary, that was nice. It is an eternal foundation of the very essence of what the kingdom is all about. So you look at this over here. He wore his feet. He was so kind. Wow, he just got trapped. Man, he's dead. Oh, too bad. Didn't get the brakes. That's awful. But wait a minute. He's dead, so that's gone. Wait a minute. What if he's not dead? What if he's raised from the dead? And what is raised from the dead is none other than this style that he established as the base of the kingdom. That's the idea. Now let me try to help you with it. And this may not help you at all. I guess this is my own, my own way of trying to help myself with it. Use your imagination. But I want you to picture over here a world full of the opposite of the cross style. What would you call that? Oh, we'll call it self-style. Living for yourself. Over here is a whole group of people, a whole world that's stuck on themselves. Here's a whole world that grabs for themselves. A whole world, their first thought in the morning is themselves. The, first, the second thought in the morning is themselves. In fact, every thought of the day is for themselves. In other words, they're all wrapped up in themselves. They grab for themselves. They defend themselves. They protect themselves. They're out for themselves. Everything they do, even when they do something that's good, is for themselves because it makes them feel good. So even their charitable, even their, hey, I help somebody type of thing is all for self. Even their religion is all wrapped up in self because it's all about I want to go to heaven, I want to be happy, I want to, I want to, I want to, which is all about self. So this is a whole group of people. This is hard to imagine, isn't it? A whole group of people that every, I mean, you have to lock your doors because, hey, they're all about themselves and who knows what they're going to take. I mean, you can't, you got to protect your kids because who knows, you got to, hey, I mean, this, this is all about self, brother, and you got to guard and get a gun and carry and let's go hey we gotta this is this is a world full of self-centered self-style people ever met one <laughs> I understand that brother <laughs> yeah when you say live with one, you mean really live with one. <laughs> 24 hours a day, yeah. Here's a whole world full of self-style. Now, think about this. Right in the middle. This is so awesome. Right in the middle of a whole self-style. I mean, we've been that way for so long. I mean, the whole world is operated in that thought process, that philosophy. I mean, it's so normal. It's accepted. You're supposed to be that way. In the business world, you step on a man. You crawl over the top of him, brother. You use him as stepping stones. Come on. It's, it's acceptable. It's, it's self-style. You gotta. It's the way it is. It's normal. Right in the middle of this self-style 
comes a brand new style. Now, I'm not talking about an adjustment to the old style. I'm not talking about a new wrinkle. I'm not talking about this is an additional philosophy to the... I'm not talking about attitude check. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about brand new, never been seen before, absolutely, whoa, what is that? style called the cross style and as cell style instinctively grabs for itself cross style instinctively pours out for others as cell style just naturally defends fights draws a line cross style just naturally Wipes out the lines. Says, come on in. I'm risking my life. Cell style. And in the middle of cell style comes this brand new style. Never, ever seen before. Called cross style. Now here's what's so dramatic about it. And this really... This is startling, folks. Here's what's so dramatic about it. That it didn't come in the form of a philosophy. See, if it would have come, if this cross style, new style, would have come in the form of a philosophy, if God would have sent it down in a book in the form of a philosophy, we would have formed classes, we would have argued about it. And we would have divided up and we'd have a denomination over here and a denomination over here. And, a, and we, would have, we would have separated and had different aspects of the cross style debating. And we'd have spent all, nobody would have ever lived it because we'd be too busy debating it. See, if it had come as a theology, again, we would have theologized it to death. We would have divided, hacked, and we would have spent all of our time discussing theology. But it didn't come in the form of a philosophy, and it didn't come in the form of a theology. It came in a person. Now think about that. A man called Jesus, who absolutely, down to it, lived out the cross style. So that the cross wasn't an event only. It was a way of thinking. See, anybody who knows Jesus watches his life and then sees him hanging on a cross and says, oh, there he goes again. Like, this is nothing new. I mean, this is God, second member of the Trinity, who's leaped off his throne and become man, a baby, helpless. That's what this is. He's doing it again. Disciples are against the wall refusing to wash feet because if they washed your feet, they'd say that you are bigger and better than they, am or they are and they are not going to do that. Jesus comes in and strips himself and washes all their feet. Well, that's what this is all over again. Because this is the way the man thought. See, he marched into the middle of an argument not thinking in terms of how can I win, how can I nail him. He walked into the middle of an argument thinking, how can I help? How can I uplift? How can I enlighten? Now, at first, 
when this style, cross style, showed up in the person of Jesus, not a philosophy, not a theology, but a person living it out, we looked at him and it was intriguing. But after a while, it got irritating. Now, you can understand that. Hey, you're sitting in a committee meeting, a board meeting, and uh, someone says, well, this is the time that's best for me. And Cross-Style raises his head and says, nobody gives a rip about what's best for you. Because this isn't about you. This is about how we're going to win this community. I thought the church was for me. No. That's irritating. Isn't that irritating? After all the money I've given to the church and all I've done and that get to... You think they can have the services working? That's irritating, folks. See, you're in the middle of an argument with your wife. And just as you're ready to make the final point and nail her good, Cross Star raises its head and says, if you win, you'll lose. If you lose, you'll win. What? That's irritating. Isn't that irritating? Just nail her. That's irritating. I'm the head of the house. I'm the king of the castle. <laughs> Cross style's okay. Out there, down at the church, talking about it. But not in my, in my home where I've got to, we're going to watch a TV show. I want to. <laughs> See, that's really irritating. Cross style just, <clears throat> just, it's like sandpaper, just. <clears throat> so here's Jesus living cross style in the midst of a cell-style world, and it just rubbed the grain. It just rubbed. It just, it was petting the dog in the opposite way. It was just, you know, it just, whoa, this is just not, this, oh, this is awful. So what are you going to do with cross-style? I mean, it is so irritating. You can't ignore it. You can't just, well, we'll forget about it. No, you just, everywhere you go, it just raises its head, and you just hate it, just, just constantly. So, Hey, there's only one thing to do. Let's get rid of it. And since it's in the form of a person, we've got to get rid of this person. Now, how are we going to do that? Think about this. How are we going to get rid of this cross style? We're going to nail him to a cross. Which proves, folks, that the devil isn't too bright. Because this is not a good plan. So the devil nails him to a cross. We wipe our hands and all the self-style people are dancing around saying, Woo, we win. Yeah, yeah, got rid of that cross style. Won't hear about that anymore. Hey, what time are we going to have the services? Time that's good for me. We can go back to our old style, see, and live our old style without interruption, without anybody coming along saying, Oh. And we can maintain. So everything's peaceful. We got the seal on the tomb. We've got the stone wrote in, the seal on the tomb, Roman guard, everything's good. And then comes these guards saying, Whoa! 
These are the elite special forces. Don't sweat. Never afraid. Wow! Bright lights, angel, earthquake. We passed out. <laughs> what? Yeah. He raised from the dead. Now, if you have a problem when you got one man running around doing the cross-style thing in the midst of a cell-style world, if you got a problem there, what would happen if you had a dead man <laughs> raised from the dead running around doing the cross-style thing? Of course, they didn't know it was worse than that because the dead man raised from the dead was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and pour the cross-style spirit upon all these people. And there were going to be, oh, we got rid of one cross-style guy, and oh, good night, they multiplied. <laughs> and they're everywhere, irritating the life out of our world. So see, this chapter is not, the event isn't there, understand that, but it's okay now. I, I get it. It's okay because this is a chapter of overwhelming declaration of victory. This is a chapter of we win. This chapter is the boxing scene and your opponent is flat on his face, man. You've got your, you've got your, uh, you've got your foot on his back and, and your hand is raised or, or the referee is taking you around and well, everybody's cheering. We win. We win. That's what this Jesus wins. Cross-style wins forever and ever and ever. And hey, what's in vogue now, the very basis of the kingdom of God, I mean, the fundamental forever and ever and ever and ever is this cross-style. This never ever live for yourself. This die to yourself. This never ever think about yourself. This pour your life out stuff. This, hey, this give yourself up stuff. That, that's the heart of the kingdom. And everybody in the kingdom has this style. You can't be in the kingdom without wearing your belt on the side. <laughs> now, we don't have time, but uh, I want to give you a, just a couple scenes. I mean, it's all over this chapter, and you can make them up yourself. But I just want to give you a couple just to... What's your appetite? Okay, uh, of places where the victory is declared. For instance, here comes the angel descending. Shoo, earthquake created by the very pressure of his coming. And again, there's this incline. This, the peg's been pulled. Stone is rolled down. It's a cylinder, probably that thick, however. And this big stone, and it's really heavy. So this angel comes down, grabs that stone, and just flips it. And that stone goes rolling. There it goes. And as the stone goes rolling, it finally runs out of momentum, begins to, and then it flops down and just dust everywhere. And when the dust is settled, guess where the angel is? Sitting on it. Now, isn't that interesting? Why would he put that in there? Rolled the stone away and sat on it. What's that all about? Well, we're starting a new denomination called Sitting Angels. <laughs> Come and let them sit on you. <laughs> what, what is that all about? Sitting eight. Well, folks, come on. That's a declaration of victory. 
See, that again is the equivalent of you put your foot on the, on the chest of your opponent and raise your hand and, hey, we win. So the angels come down and say, hey, we win. We win. Cross-style wins. This pour your life out. It wins. This give yourself up. It wins in your home. Pour your life out. It wins down at your job. Give yourself up. It wins. It wins in your life. Give your life up. It wins in the defeat of your own habits. It wins. It wins over sin. It win. We win. We, we win. I'm going to give you another one. If you go down to the end of the chapter, the disciples have come, of course, in verse, uh, verse 16, and they uh, are seeking. And so they've gone to Jerusalem, which is 80 and 100 miles, and they come to this mountain to be there at the appointed time, it says. And it says this, when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's good. Now, when they saw him means that he was over there. It wasn't he's sitting with them. He's over there. They saw him coming because they're there waiting for him to come. And whoop, I think, yep, that's him. And as they saw him, they begin to worship him. But some doubted. What do you do with that? Bunch of flakes. They're still doubting. I mean, what's it going to take? Come on. They're still doubting. What's the big deal, guys? They're still doubting. If you put all the other gospel accounts, by this time, no doubt, they've had several resurrection appearances, and they're still doubting. What on earth? They've had the witness of the ladies. They're still doubting. What? They went to the tomb, and it's in. They're still doubting. Guys, you know what I'd have done? I'd have gone to Jesus and said, pack it in. These guys aren't going to hack it. You're going to make these guys the bishops of the churches. <laughs> these are the apostles who are going to go out and win the world. These lame brain, dead brain, these, good night, dump them. Go get some decent people like me, and we'll pull this off. <laughs> See, that's what I'd have said. Right? Because they just aren't going to hack it. They're doubting. I'd cut the crew down. I'd get rid of whoever. I'd, I'd, hey, man, this is, this is after all the three years of ministry and all they've gone through, and they still are doubting. This is, uh, 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 hey, Jesus, you better start all over. And you know how Jesus responds? Next verse. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. But your disciples are don't care. All authority's been given. Well, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Don't care. All authority's been given to me. Well, the preachers are a bunch of no good. All authority's been given to me. Well, those laymen don't have no one. All authority's been given to me. See, nothing matters, folks. Why? All authority. We win. We win. It's a statement of celebration. Okay, preacher, so what's the bottom line? Oh, self-style, cross-style. What's your style? Well, isn't there a self-cross-style? <laughs> I can't find it. <laughs> I can't find it. I just can't find it. Hey, get in or get out. It's 
See, don't, don't go develop an, a religion that uses Jesus for your own ends and makes you feel good and gives you a home in heaven and in the meantime doesn't require and you don't have to and you can still do. No, no. This is kingdom, folks. And if you're going to be in the kingdom, my dad taught me this. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. just takes all there is of him. The Christianity is what? Flat on the floor. Third gear and flat on the floor. <laughs> well, I'm doing my best. I know. I'm trying as hard as I can. I understand. Sounds a little self-styled, doesn't it? Because this is not about your trying. And not about your, this is about him. <sighs> Could you turn him loose in your life? Could you let him embrace you? Well, how serious is this, preacher? Self-style is temporary. And the only thing that's going to last forever and ever and ever is cross-style. Why is self-style temporary? God's going to smash it! <laughs> no. He's cross-style. Well, why is self-style temporary? Because self-style always destroys itself. Come on, that's not hard. Get married. Okay. Live for yourself. Okay. Come on when you want to. Okay. Spend the money you want to, the way you want to. Okay. Stay out as late as you want to. All right. Take the weekends out. Okay. Whoops. Got a divorce, didn't you? I've never seen a divorce. Not knocking anybody. I've just never seen a divorce where self-style wasn't in somebody's life. I've never seen a couple say, oh, I want to live, I want to give my life to him and I want, I want to fulfill God's plan in his life and I want to pour my life out and I want, and, she, and he says, I want to give my life to my wife and I want to, and I want to, and, and I just want to give my, and I just want to roll up my sleeves and meet her needs and I want God to, I've, I've never seen them get divorced. See, cell style destroys itself. Hey, get a job, got a job, good job. Live for yourself. Take a cot. Take an afternoon nap. <laughs> Whoops, you just got fired. <laughs> See, cell style killed your job. See, this is destructive, people. And the only thing that's going to, how serious is this? The only thing that's going to last forever and ever and ever is cross style. Pour your life out. Give yourself up. Come to a cross. So this really matters because it's the determining factor in your eternal being. Jesus, we're not dealing with philosophy. We're not dealing with arguments. We're not dealing with theology. We're not dealing with church polity. 
we're dealing with you, the irritating, sandpaper kind of, that comes to my life and weeps and pours yourself out for me and rolls up your sleeves and says, I want to take you where you have never been able to go into a life that pours itself out and never lives for itself. And in that, Jesus, I find fulfillment. It's the flow of your nature in me. It's intimacy with you. And it brings me into everything I dreamed I should be as a godly man. And here I am in my fit throwing and my temper and my irritations and my stress. Could you do this in me? Could you give me a new style? And could I come to death? And could your resurrection be mine? The resurrection of the cross style in my life. Heads are bowed. Preacher, why do you always ask us to come to the altar? Every service you have an altar call. Yeah, yeah. Why do you do that? Well, because there's one reason why you won't come. One thing keeps you from getting on your knees or coming and standing and presenting yourself. It's the old self-style. So really what we're doing is we're asking you to break with the old style of protecting, guarding, pride. Why is it so hard for you Why does it irritate you? Why does it grind? Would you let him love on you today? And take you where you've never been able to go. A new style. So this is a confession this morning. To say, self-style cannot pull this off. Self-style is self-style. And self will never get this done. This is going to take Jesus doing something in my life that's beyond what I can do. And I'm presenting myself, asking him to do it. Moments of seeking. Be obedient.